I'm Stephanie Lampkin, founder and CEO of Blendor. Stay tuned to learn about our mission and values. Welcome to Mission and Values, a backstage capital podcast about remarkable startup cultures led by underrepresented founders. I'm your host, Brian Landers. My guest today is Stephanie Lampkin, the founder and CEO of Blendor. For full disclosure, Backstage Capital is an investor in Blendor. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. So great to have you. Can you tell us what is Blendor? So Blendor is a people analytics technology that works to mitigate unconscious bias, uh, starting with hiring. So we have an application where we integrate with companies' applicant tracking systems. So all of the candidates that apply to their jobs, say for like Google, will upload their resumes and we'll present them to employers with no name, photo, age, or any indication of your identity, only showing how good of a fit you are and your potential future success in that role, right? So the things that are actually relevant. And then we have analytics on the back end that track how far along different demographics of people make it in the hiring funnel to identify where bias may be happening in the process. Yeah. And that is a hot topic right now because we're starting to learn what those numbers are Yeah, and they're not very good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The representation numbers are pretty bad across the board in tech companies. And it sort of created a complacency around what to do about it or what the root cause is. Our theory is that there needs to be more accountability around the people making the decisions that ultimately drive those numbers. And that's pretty much how we've built the company. That's exciting. So before we dive more into exploring the mission of Blendor, I'd love to learn a little bit about how you got here. I watched your TED Talk and stuff, so I cheated and saw a little (laughs) bit. But so were there any clues in your childhood that might suggest you'd one day become an entrepreneur? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I had a lot of family members ahead of me that went the entrepreneurial route. My mother left corporate America when I was probably around seven or eight and decided to just do her own thing um, in various ventures. I saw quite a few women in my family take a similar route, none of which started what would now be considered like scalable, venture-backable businesses, but still I witnessed firsthand sort of the benefits of having the freedom and autonomy to do your own thing. So that definitely drove my trajectory. Yeah, I remember hearing about your your aunt, you said in another podcast, it was cool to hear about. Yeah. It's so cool when someone is so close to you that can become a role model for like a different type of lifestyle, you know? Absolutely. I mean, she was the cool aunt. Like she's <laughs> the first person I knew that had a portable CD player the first person who showed me what a cell phone was um, and was traveling all over the world. And I was just like, oh my gosh, how do I have this lifestyle? Because no one else in our family is living like this. That would be exciting to a kid. (laughs) I also know that you attended quite a few prestigious schools and you've worked at some notable companies too. So can you just for context, share a bit about your, what I find very impressive background? Yeah. So, um, so as you mentioned, I had a computer scientist auntie that sort of inspired my past. So I started coding pretty early and um, was really a full stack web developer in high school and took AP computer science and then went on to go to Stanford and got an engineering degree there, then went off to Microsoft for five and a half years working with enterprise software and then quit Microsoft to go to MIT full time to get an MBA. 
And then, you know, really started my first official tech startup while I was in business school. Didn't really work out. I continued it a little bit after graduation, but stumbled upon Blendor about a year or so after I graduated from MIT. And a lot of it actually had to do with some of the experiences I had in that transition period. I I interviewed for an analytical lead role at Google because it was pretty well aligned with my background and was surprised when they came back with a rejection uh, based on the fact that they didn't think that I was technical enough, that I'd be better suited for sales or marketing job. Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a big wake-up call. Um, And this was before Google had published their diversity numbers and Mm -hmm. a lot of the companies had published their numbers. So I think that next summer when they did, and I started reading all the headlines and just this common narrative that it was a pipeline problem, I felt really empowered to create something that could help address that and sort of debunk that myth. I'm sorry that you had to experience that particular problem to want to do this, but I'm also really glad that you're working on it. This seems like an obvious question, but can you explain what unconscious bias is? Yeah, so unconscious bias is really defined as sort of our innate way in which we judge different things, whether it be people, um, experiences, objects, it's sort of our wiring. And so in the context of people, Unconscious bias often lends us to see someone of a certain race, gender, ability, and make snap judgments about who they are and what they're capable of. It's really the shortcuts that, you know, we sort of have genetically and it, you know, it serves a benefit in survival and a lot of different contexts, but in the context of hiring can be really, really bad because you ultimately miss out on very, very talented people when you don't have the ability to sort of overcome that blind spot that your brain is hardwired to create. Yeah, that makes sense. And you, you experienced the flip side of that, of being on the receiving end of that. Well, yeah, I admit to being on both sides, to be honest, you know, it's, it's one of those things that as a human being, you just have to be honest with yourself that like, Hey, this is human. This is natural. It still happens to me. I'll see things or see people and make assumptions about who they are, but I have the consciousness to sort of check myself and say, you know what, I can't make that judgment for sure until I talk to that person, until I get to know them better. Yeah. You mentioned that Blendor wasn't your first startup, but right around that time when you first decided to make the leap into the unknown of starting your own company and becoming a founder, can you take us back into that moment? Like, What made you go from being an employee at these pretty notable companies to and maybe it's partly tied to the family background you mentioned, but, mm-hmm. but to making that leap to being a startup founder. Well, honestly, I came up with the idea for my first startup while I was still at Microsoft. And I did a little bit of moonlighting there. I didn't have the time to really flesh out the app. So I hired some contractors to help me with some of the product development and coding. And then it sort of spearheaded my path to business school. So when I went to MIT knowing that I wanted to start a company. And it made my experience there a lot more fruitful. So MIT never got my resume. I didn't go on any recruiting trips. I didn't talk to any employers. I was very much committed. I kind of used it as my own little accelerator incubator. That's smart. Yeah, it sort of uh, eliminates some of the risk. You know, I know a lot of people talk about when should I quit my day job, et cetera. I think business school sort of afforded me some padding to kind of play in the sandbox and figure things out and get some team members before diving right in. That seems encouraging. You made it out and made something really cool. So (laughs) this particular story has a good ending. (laughs) Um, So tell us, what is the mission of Blendor? 
So our mission is to use technology and analytics in a way that can drive better people decisions. And we're starting with hiring because it's really, really difficult. It's a really, really challenging problem, particularly as it pertains to diversity and inclusion. But we see a lot of applications. If you think about it, there are many different contexts in which you have to make a decision about a person, whether or not you're going to trust them to stay in your Airbnb. Yeah. Or if you're an Uber driver, whether or not you feel comfortable picking them up. Yep. And there's been clear evidence that your name or your photo can affect the outcome of those scenarios, right? Airbnb has had several cases of racial discrimination based on what the photos and names that people see on the platform. And they have done some extensive research to confirm that having a certain name increases your likelihood of being canceled for a pickup if you're using Uber or Lyft. Yeah, we kind of want to create, you know, technology that can sort of mitigate a lot of that unnecessary bias that makes these free market tools that ideally would create, you know, more opportunities for people to just, you know, level the playing field. So that's why our mission is deeply rooted in meritocracy and helping people overcome their bias. That's amazing. That's definitely a worthy mission. Beyond combating the systemic inequality that's apparent from these diversity stats we were talking about, can you share more about the business opportunity made possible by a more diverse team? Why is diversity good for business? Oh, that's a really, really good question. So there's a lot of different reasons, I think, depending on what domain you're in. So obviously, if you're a company that's selling a product or service and the majority of your consumers are diverse and you don't have anyone creating products or designing products that represent that demographic, you're at a huge disadvantage. The classic case of this was, I think it was Ford back in the day, had nothing but male engineers and designers, and they built an airbag system that didn't work for women because they never tested it on women. And so women were actually getting injured as a result of these airbags, right? Wow. Uh, there's several, several cases of this. Um, I think we're even seeing it in present day. There's a startup, Bodega. Oh, yeah. That's some current news. That <laughs> was recently announced, and they're like oh, you know, well, we did some surveys and some focus groups about the name and we had no indication that it was misappropriation or could be perceived badly. It was like, well, maybe if you would have had a bit more diversity on your team, you know, that would have been a bit more obvious. Less tone deaf. Yeah, exactly. And to clarify, the concern there is like they're going to put out of business essentially mom and pop stores everywhere, right? Exactly, exactly. Right. And there was even like Hunter Walk, one of their investors from Homebrew, chimed in about his lack of, you know, ability to kind of see into that reaction mm -hmm. to the even just the name, you know? Yeah, we saw his, uh, I actually just read his post about that. Um, and it's, it's funny because we were, we were actually just talking about it. Like, we're in the land of geniuses, right? Here in Silicon Valley. So how can people be so oblivious to sort of just common sense ideas and cause and effect? But yeah, a lot of that has to do with being in this sort of bubble where in many cases you underestimate the things that you don't know and don't understand. So diversity becomes like a, just increases your perspective, right? Yeah, increases your perspective. I also think it gives you a competitive advantage. You know, it's funny, in a lot of my pitches, I give a lot of sports analogies because I think athletics are sort of an ideal meritocracy, right? Like one guy just runs faster, right? There's no way to dispute 
who reaches the finish line right. further. Or one guy shoots free throws at a higher percentage. And we have now really great sports analytics to verify who does really well and who doesn't. But we haven't seen that sort of parallel happen in the business world. And I talk about how, you know, I show a photo of the 1910 UNC Chapel Hill basketball team, which was 100% white guys. Um, you know, that's founded basketball. But if you look at the UNC Chapel Hill team that recently won the championship, it's a lot more diverse and actually skews even more towards African-American men. And, you know, that only happened because there was sort of a level playing field and an opportunity to see that, oh, different types of people can be successful in this sport. And we're missing out. There's an opportunity cost here. We won't be competitive as a team if we don't seize the opportunity to diversify our players. And I think if somehow we can mirror that in business, we'll go a lot further than just promoting diversity as a moral imperative or a social good. This Backstage Capital podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank, the bank of choice for the world's most innovative companies and their investors. Learn more about how they can help entrepreneurs online at svb.com. Thanks also to Source Easy, a vertical apparel supply chain that makes high-quality ethical manufacturing easy so you can focus on building your brand. Check them out online at sourceeasy.com. And now let's get back into this interview with Stephanie Lampkin, founder and CEO of Blendor. Let's talk about your tech. You're getting into all the new and interesting stuff. We're talking artificial intelligence. AI is kind of everywhere now. It's the new resource that any startup that can leverage it is trying to. But Blendor has this interesting relationship to technology and artificial intelligence since you're solving for issues related to, like we were talking about, human bias. Yes. And also AI is capable of bias, I think. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So how are you thinking about new technology as you tackle issues around unconscious bias? Well, one of the people I'm courting from my board, and I hope she hears this podcast because this would be a great plug, <laughs> is Dr. Kathy O'Neill. Um, she wrote a book called Weapons of Math Destruction. Ooh, nice title. And she speaks extensively about how all of these AI and big data algorithms are created by, you know, pretty homogenous groups. And they therefore have the influence of, you know, what the data proves. And it's been used for criminal justice system. It's been used in education and even healthcare. And so baking in that inherent bias in these algorithms is something that keeps me up at night because I ultimately want to create a platform that replaces our traditional proxies for determining someone's higher ability or credibility or trust with data that actually is more relevant and more um, salient. So I kind of give the analogy of Netflix, right? Netflix gives you sort of a match percentage now, right? Like based on your previous history, uh, this film is 83% likely to be a good match for you. Right. And there are some algorithms now that do that for candidates. They sort of like will scan your resume for keywords or they'll do some personality surveys, et cetera. But again, my concern is that the code behind it may skew towards the same types of people getting hired, may have that same bias. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's why we sort of call out our analytics as being inclusive, because we want to make sure that what we're building in an effort to really show who's who is done in a way that's 
conscious of how it can negatively affect marginalized groups or underrepresented groups. And I think that's the key differentiator when we talk about AI in this context for us. One thing that you're creating with this technology that you're building is a sort of, um, actually, I'll let you describe it. What is the blend score and why is that important? Yeah, so we just launched BlendScore in May as sort of like a taste test of what we're doing with objective data. What we want to do for candidates, we did for companies. And we call it this sort of comprehensive diversity, equity, and inclusion rating. And we audited 161 tech companies on their leadership, retention, social impact, and recruitment strategies. And so for leadership, we analyzed what percentage of their board and executive team were women and people of color. For retention, we pulled in their overall U.S. workforce diversity, but also analyzing different policies and benefits that they have in place to create more inclusive workplaces. So whether it's maternity leave or adoption assistance. And then impact is understanding who are they partnering with to either help build the pipeline or facilitate sort of leveling the playing field so that they can have more diverse and inclusive workplaces. And from all of that, we spit out a score. So you'll see uh, blendor.com slash blendscore.html. You'll see actually the rating of all of these tech companies based on these different metrics. What were some of the like surprising takeaways from that? What did you learn? The most surprising thing was after I announced the release, I got a ton of phone calls from heads of communications and legal, chief legal officers. And that was really interesting, right? Because everyone sort of wants to put us in just the HR bucket, not realizing that there's a huge employer and company branding piece of this, right? Like no one wants to be perceived as a company that's not equitable, that's not inclusive. And so I was really, really pleased to see that we were getting the attention of people outside of HR, because it really is more than an HR problem, but it's really hard to convince people of that until they see it. That's so cool. I'm so glad you're tracking that data. It's, it brings sunlight to the dark areas where we don't really know what's been happening. And yeah, just to kind of normalize everything and see like, just see what the landscape is so that you know where you're starting from and how Blendor can start improving that, you know? Yeah. And FYI, we'll be doing a blend score for VCs. Oh, stay tuned. Uh, Backstage Capital. (laughs) How are we doing? Oh, superb. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty simple to do because all we do is analyze the diversity of the partners, the diversity of the overall fund, and then also the diversity of their portfolio company co-founders and founders. Yep. Um, Because I think that's a piece that we don't hear a lot of. You know, there's a lot of like activist VCs out there around diversity. But when you pull back the layers, it's like, oh, well, you've actually never invested in a company that has a black or Latina founder. So, you know, all these medium posts that you're writing about the (laughs) importance of diversity, you're not really putting your money where your mouth is. It's interesting to see what people will say publicly, but then actually do, you know, in terms of investment. Exactly. And I think until that accountability happens, you won't see a lot of behavior change. And so that's really why we want to put the numbers behind it. We want to like really shine the light on what's happening. That is so cool. Super cool. So how big is the team now? There are five of us. Ooh, exciting. Yeah. It's a fun stage to be at, right? Yeah. Are things starting to break yet? 
<laughs> Not just yet, uh, but I'm, I'm trying to be proactive in preparing for it. But I, I want to hire two more people by the end of the year because uh, we just raised a bit more cash in part thanks to Backstage Capital. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know, I'm really deliberate about hiring folks remote, like outside of the Bay Area. So one of my engineers, for example, is in St. Martin. And unfortunately, he was just negatively impacted by Harvey, but, you know, he just regained Wi-Fi connectivity. So we're excited about that. But um, there you go. OK. Yeah, I want to be you know, I want to walk the walk. Right. As much as we talk about diversity, like I want to make sure that even in our team representation that we're making an effort to really demonstrate that. That's okay. I have to ask this question. How does Blendor itself approach diversity and recruiting? I mean, you must use your own tool. That makes sense. (laughs) Actually, I haven't yet. I get a lot of inbound interest in working for the company just because we're so mission driven and Mm -hmm. a lot of people are super passionate about diversity and inclusion. So I haven't had to do really much outbound marketing for working for Blendor just yet. So most of the folks that are on my team, it's been pretty organic. We've met at a conference or event or we've worked together in the past. Yeah. I mean, it seems like when you ramp up hiring, that's when you'll definitely be needing it almost, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, so you've become an expert at learning what works and what doesn't in company cultures as you're building out the blend score and becoming an expert at diversity and inclusion at companies. What are your hopes and goals for the culture that you're building? The culture that I'm building at Blendor? Yeah. Well, I really want to have a breakout success that VCs and LPs and angel investors and others can look at and say, okay, this is an example of a diverse company being successful and being able to sort of tie it to diversity as a competitive advantage. Tristan Walker actually talks about this as well, the founder and CEO of Walker and Company. Just how, you know, oftentimes in order for the tie to change, you have to have one or two breakout successes. And it does add a little bit more pressure, I think, than other founders and CEOs face in this journey. Which is already quite high. Right. But I think it's important. I mean, in every case in history, there had to be that Oprah Winfrey or that Jackie Robinson or that Serena Williams or whomever to really sort of lead the way and say, this is possible. And I think it causes a hunter walk, for example, to maybe think twice the next time that he's pitched by a woman or person of color to join his team or to be in his portfolio. You know, if he's passed on founders in the past to say, wow, okay, there's an opportunity cost here. And and so, yeah, that's... Oh yeah, FOMO. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that's what a lot of these decisions are driven off of. It's your network and FOMO. So... Yep. Will Blendor be the next Google or insert whatever company? That <laughs> right. That's exciting. That is uh, that is not a that is not a small challenge you've set for yourself there. So it's very ambitious. <laughs> you know what's next for Blendor? Well, we are going on a conference tour this fall to drive a campaign called hashtag It's Not a Pipeline Problem. Our goal is to get a million plus candidate resumes on our platform so that we can grow to become one of the largest databases of diverse talent and also have the tangible evidence, right, that qualified people from underrepresented groups do exist. You know, they're not aliens. (laughs) No. And so, yeah, we'll be working on that. And then on the enterprise side, our B2B side, which drives our revenue, we are a B2B company. I'm really, really passionate about bringing on a data scientist that can really 
put us in that sweet spot of helping companies find the diamonds in the rough, so to speak, and really being able to justify our algorithms around how we're using big data to show who's really a good fit for a company. It's sort of a a fight. There are a lot of companies in the HR tech space trying to achieve this, and I think we're pretty well equipped to do it. Do you have any advice for people listening who have experienced bias, like you were talking about when you decided to start Blendor, unconscious or conscious, as they are working towards their goals and maybe are thwarted? Oh, yeah, it's tough. Um, For me, and this is just, I think, part of my personality, but I do want to equip more people with this mentality around it. You kind of have to see it as a challenge and not in a challenge of like, okay, I have to prove this person wrong or I have to change society's views about my particular group. But I always try to find a way to turn a negative bias or negative stereotype on its head. Because I don't think bias is eliminated. I think it's recreated. And we need models. I mean, that's really what changes bias. Models and examples consistently. But running away from it, so quitting your job, leaving Silicon Valley, I think that's what we've seen a lot happening. Um, And unfortunately, we kind of just have to maintain that Jackie Robinson mentality. I mean, this guy was spit at, he was called the N-word, right? Like we're not experiencing that level of bias, (laughs) which was obviously conscious bias, but um, it takes that level of resilience and really confidence, like overcoming imposter syndrome. You know, there's this really great meme I think I saw of, uh, Lord, give me the confidence of a mediocre white male or something. (laughs) (laughs) In some cases, you just have to be really, really confident. Like that's half the battle of really believing that you belong, that you're qualified. And despite the external perceptions that you deserve to be there. So, yeah, that would be my advice. Be confident and persevere. Don't give up. (laughs) Great advice. Stephanie. The work you're doing at Blendor, it's so important. It's so clearly needed now that we've seen these numbers and you're surfacing them more. So thank you for being one of these good models that you were talking about. Yeah, thanks. For people who, you know, your mission and your story really resonated with, and also if they want to come and see you out on the road, where can they follow along and check it out? Yeah, so I will be at the National Black MBA Conference September 26th through the 30th. I will be at the Nesby Professionals Conference in Chicago on September 30th. And I will be a featured speaker at Grace Hopper on October 5th in Orlando. There we go. Plenty of opportunities for you all to go out and meet Stephanie. And how about online? Where can people follow along on on the interwebs and Twitter? Yeah, so to follow me personally, I'm at Stephanuriel. To follow Blendor, just at Blendor. And shoot me a LinkedIn connection request. Just drop a note around how you found out about me and why you want to stay connected. And uh, happy to stay connected. That's awesome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. The theme music is by Shane Ensley from the Kneebody album Antihero, available at kneebody.com. Additional music and show notes are available at backstagecapital.com slash mission and values. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. So you can find me on Twitter at Brian Landers, that's B-R-Y-A-N. And you can also email greenroom at backstagecapital.com. If you dug this episode, please leave a review in iTunes or share it with someone to help bring more attention to startups like Blendor and founders like Stephanie. 
Thank you so much for listening to this Backstage Capital podcast and stay tuned for next time on Mission and Values.